the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to those of you who are listening and are watching to The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're delighted to have you with us uh, at this time. And we have a very special uh, broadcast uh, today. Uh, and an old, old friend of mine who I've known for 40 years um, from Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Kit Danley, uh, who is the founder of Neighborhood Ministries. And uh, and she has a very special guest with her. Uh, his name is Alfonso Vasquez. And Alfonso, we're delighted to have you with us today as well. And I just want to remind those who are listening that the purpose of this podcast is not to highlight um, the specialness of the people that we interview, but it's to highlight what Jesus is doing through them and how they can be Jesus' hands and feet for the purpose of inspiring those of us who are listening to think about how can we better serve those around us in our community, in our context? And so, first of all, I want to introduce Kit. Kit, um, you um, and Alfonso, give us an elevator speech of who you guys are, just so that our listeners can have an idea of who they're listening to. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much, uh, Bob, for having uh, Alfonso and I on your show today. We're so grateful to be here and so excited to talk about what uh, this podcast is all about, and that's to see uh, our communities uh, through the eyes of Jesus and um, to get outside the walls of the church. And that's what Neighborhood Ministries has been doing for, uh, we're in our 41st year, which is uh, pretty phenomenal and very exciting. We're at 19th Avenue in Van Buren. That's our location. We have an eight-acre campus. And over the course of time, uh, we have believed in an incarnational model. That means living in the community and being among uh, the, our neighbors and responding to uh, the the cries of the poor as uh, Psalm 34 uh, reminds us that God does. And so we listen and we respond. And so today we have uh, over 200 staff. We have multiple programs. We still do some of the early outreach components of our ministry as we did in the early days. We still have a food bank. And during COVID, that uh, only increased in intensity. We still do 
uh, kids and youth outreach. We go out with our vehicles into the neighborhoods and bring kids into programming. But we also do very sophisticated uh, empowerment things. We have uh, uh, programs around workforce development. Uh, We have a youth center that's open every day after school. That's really quite sophisticated, which includes a high-end tech lab, arts center, and so forth. Um, We have a soccer field, and uh, we do a lot of parenting work. Uh, All all of the work we have at Neighborhood is bilingual. Our community is a Spanish-speaking community, and we um, uh, even uh, to the point of doing a lot of our mental health and trauma-related training uh, in Spanish. So all that is very exciting. We have a church on our campus and have for over 30 years a, a bilingual congregation that represents our community and uh, the believers coming out of our community. Our community, uh, let me say one last thing about neighborhood ministries, and that is we are a giving back community. So this is not a um, an organization that's dependent on outside funding or outside resources necessarily. Of course, we thank God for all of the support we get through all Mm -hmm. of our donors and funders, but we really depend on our neighbors, on our community to actually do the work. And so we're um, about joining the community in its efforts um, to see the transformation happen in the name of Jesus in our community. So I think I'll say that. So that's our little elevator speech. Uh, that's because that elevator was going up to the 50th floor. Uh, so, or the 40-something floor. <laughs> the 40-something floor. Yeah. So um, let me introduce Alfonso, who I brought as a guest, um, who was actually a testimonial of the work of Neighborhood Ministries and the work of our community. And he and I kind of have tried to figure out how do we fit this long, long, beautiful story of his life in our short time together. So, uh, Alfonso, if you could just begin and tell us a little bit about your story, how you uh, grew up in the neighborhood, and how you became part of Neighborhood Ministries. Yes. uh, Good morning, Bob. Uh, Thank you for uh, hosting us this morning. Uh, And just briefly, I would like to just share... uh, Alfonso, come a little closer to the mic, will you? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so um, at this moment, I would like to share uh, my story of uh, of coming to the U.S. Um, so uh, my story uh, starts in 1996 when my father uh, decided to go back to Mexico um, to bring my siblings uh, and I uh, to the states, uh, El Norte. That's what uh, he um, he called um, this trip. Nos vamos al norte. And the reason why my father decided to go back to Mexico uh, and bring my siblings uh, and I to the States was because we lived in complete poverty uh, in Guanajuato, Mexico. And um, at the time... Where in Mexico? Guanajuato. Guanajuato. Yes. Uh, So um, my father and mother knew that uh, the only way out of poverty and breaking the cycle that was impacting our family for generations was to leave leave Mexico, but leaving Mexico meant uh, my father and mother knowing that once they made this choice, there was no turning back and going back mm-hmm. to to Mexico freely to visit their their, uh, their their own family members. So that was a, the biggest sacrifice that my parents did at the time. So we, we came to the States uh, not knowing 
what was really happening. I was four years old at the time, so I wasn't aware about my uh, uh, my undocumented status at the time. Uh, there was a lot of innocence uh, amongst uh, my siblings and I. We we just knew that we were happy <coughs> to be together as a family uh, in a new place that uh, would um, bring opportunity to my siblings and I in terms of education. So it was um, a few years uh, after, as I started getting older, I realized that my my parents would always tell us, don't disclose our legal status to no one, not knowing why we were being told not to disclose our legal status. Yeah. Uh, but it was fear of someone knowing uh, about our legal status and that and being being sent back, being sent back to, to Mexico. So there was this constant fear of making sure we don't disclose our legal status at school or in any setting. Right. So it was until my uh, friends and I, uh, we we lived in complete poverty uh, here as well. We lived in a small trailer park. Uh, the trailer park that my family and I lived in was maybe 300 square feet. Mm-hmm. And it was, oh and it was uh, six children, my mom and dad. <clears throat> so there was, uh, uh, I always share this story, there was no money for us uh, to go to the store and get snacks. So every weekend uh my friends and i would ride our bikes around the community and uh, we found this um uh it looked to be an abandoned building but uh folks would go in there and you would hear just singing after folks mm. would go in there and they would leave two tables full of snacks uh chocolate mm. so all these treats that we would just um help ourselves to and of so, course, that was of no no attraction to you, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so we would uh, folks would go inside, and we would go in there and just um, take snacks back home, muffins, cookies, right? Um, and that was our snack for the day. So we knew every Sunday, if we went to this place, there were snacks out there. And um, one Sunday, we were being chased by uh, by this lady, just yelling at us, and. In my head, I'm just uh, upset at myself because my mother always told us, just don't get in trouble. Uh, Go out, play with friends, but don't get in trouble. Do well in school. So here, my friends and I are running away from this lady, and I'm just like, I'm going to be in deep trouble. But it was actually uh, a kid uh, telling my friends and I to stop. She was inviting us to a kids club. Uh, and wow. I'm like, hold on, we're not in trouble. We're actually being invited to <laughs> attend a, a summer camp. I'm ready for that because there was wow. nothing for wow. for wow. youth in my community to do. Um, during this time period, there was a lot of gang violence, uh, substance abuse in, in our pocket of community. So anything that could uh, just be of a um, uh, fun for uh, myself and my uh, my siblings. But there was an issue. Um, uh, we go back home. Uh, at this point, my mother, my father had left our our uh, uh, our household. Uh, he was an alcoholic. So um, at this point, it's my mother, a single mother, uh, trying to raise six children. With six kids. With wow. Six kids, and um, there was a, a five dollar fee to attend um, summer camp, and <laughs> that was a fee my mother couldn't. It was like a million, a million bucks, huh? <laughs> million dollars, yes. Yeah, so. I still remember the first day of Kids Club. We had the form 
But my mother, uh, she didn't have the money to send uh, all five children. So she said, you go on the bus with Jose and the rest stay home. And her friend that was there said like, hey, it's a summer camp. Here's the money. <laughs> Boom. We jump wow. on we jump on the wow. bus and um and I tell uh my story and my story wouldn't make sense without neighborhood ministries being mm-hmm. a part of it and and just Praise the great the grace of God um of my family immigrating to the US and and being able to step foot into neighborhood ministries just soon after my siblings and I and other leaders in our community we realized that, hold on, we could actually talk about our legal status here in this mm. in this space. and What freedom? Yeah, just, just the freedom of being able to just feel liberated. And, exactly. And knowing yeah. that, hold on, I could tell uh, uh, Ian, uh, Chris Williams, Jeremy, Sarah, our, our legal status, and, and we're talking about solutions. What can we do as young leaders in our community to, to find a permanent solution to our to our status, uh, our status as dreamers and our families. So little by little, we started to just uh, change this fear into power. We would meet every, once a week and and have worship together, have Bible study, wow. and 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 God was guiding us into into these spaces of uh, of leadership. Yeah, it, Alfonso, it's really interesting to me uh, to hear your story and realize that. This isn't something that happened in one encounter. It was something that was a, a long-term process of you feeling safe and being introduced to the Lord and then coming to him. And, uh, and I, I just think it's a wonderful reminder of, of if we're going to invest our lives in the lives of others, we need to be ready for a long-term investment and yes. not think that this is something that's going to happen in a weekend or just at a, at a camp, but yes. we need a lifetime of, a, of willingness to invest in others. So thank you for sharing that story. So, and so, all right. So Bob, I bet you want to know what fun, what Alfonso is doing today. Exactly. That's and what, because exactly it's, what I was going yeah. Yes. Cause it's quite amazing. Yes. Uh, so now I, I have the privilege of uh, overseeing our social justice work uh, at the Sueños Youth Center. So I am the social justice coordinator. What does that mean? So I get to develop the uh, the next generation of young leaders in our community. <laughs> okay. So in the hopes that one day they are uh, doing what I'm doing, which is uh, igniting a passion uh, for justice and in, in, in the work in, in their communities. So I get the honor of of just leading that next generation, and um, and it's a blessing. Uh, we have how many how many of those young people are you working with? So we are working with uh, twenty young leaders in in the community, and um, uh, uh, all of them have this uh, this calling for for justice. Um, a lot of the work that we're doing right now at the moment is around uh, light rail. So Light Row will be coming right through our uh, our front door at Neighborhood Ministries on Van Buren. So with that comes a lot of displacement of our community, development, uh, gentrification, and a lot of those families that are in close proximity to Neighborhood Ministries are undocumented families uh, that have been living there for a few generations. So right. they're doing impactful work. 
uh, Alfonso, you, you use the word justice. How would you mm-hmm. define that word? What does that mean? What does justice mean for you? I'm going to say what our youth say. Uh, that's a question I ask them every semester. Okay. <laughs> and I um, ask, I ask uh, the group, what's justice to you guys? And it's, uh, they always say equality. It's what? E- equality, equal justice. Equality. Yes, just equal justice, access to resources um, that our community uh, doesn't have. So it's interesting when, when the youth start talking about uh, just justices, um, just uh, equal it's equal opportunity equal, for all groups. Equal opportunity, right. Yeah. Okay, good. I like that. I like that a lot. So it's, it's not equality mm-hmm. of outcome. It's equality of opportunity. Opportunity that, and resources. Right? Yeah. So I want to um, kind of capture our time a little bit because uh, Alfonso wears lots of hats at Neighborhood Ministries, and one of these pertains to uh, equal justice or equality. Let's talk about our scholarship a little bit. Yes, Bob. So this is um, uh, years ago. Uh, Dreamers uh, didn't have access to uh, uh, state funds or FAFSA. So we have a a private scholarship, uh, the Wayne and Kedani Scholarship, which is an in-house scholarship that provides uh, 90, uh, covers 90% of uh, tuition for Dreamers who uh, are a part of Neighborhood Ministries. So tuition for what? Uh, uh, higher education. So Okay, good. Uh, if they graduate from high school and there's uh, a lack of scholarship for uh, undocumented students, they come to us and uh, we walk through their, uh, we walk with them through their academic journey until graduating from community college or um, uh, four-year university. So through our private scholarship, we have been able to fund over 50 uh, scholars and have uh, over 25 graduates uh, in the uh, field of education, social work, uh, medical wow. field, engineering. Wow. So through this scholarship, we have been able to give hope to, uh, to those young leaders in our community so, that sometimes— So, Alfonso, how many years have you been doing this? I've been doing this uh, for— uh, since DACA was passed in 2013, uh, full-time uh, since 2016 when I graduated from ASU, uh, Neighborhood Ministries offered me a full-time position that I couldn't say no to. Uh, we, okay. did, we did have him in an internship uh, uh, position even before DACA. And so actually I think you started working – um, on the youth team, on youth maybe team. 2013 or 2012, yeah. maybe. I was a senior in high school when Ian approached me and two other young leaders with the opportunity of um, <laughs> uh, just having an in, an internship. So, it, okay, it, it but, just, but my my question is specifically uh, in the scholarship program. You said you've had 50 scholarships and 20. Some have graduated, uh, completed that. So how long has this scholarship program been? Uh, Since 2008. But 2000. I actually think it's more than 20 that we've had that have graduated from yeah, college. Close to 30. Yeah. yeah. 30 graduates. Okay. Out of 50. Out of 50. And That's pretty good. Yeah, and yeah. it's over half a million dollars uh, provided uh, to those scholars. And who provides the funds for the scholarship? 
Well, we do a fundraiser every year, and we have one donor couple who's joined us since 2008, since the very beginning, and they've actually provided uh, a match uh, for a million-dollar endowment for that scholarship. And so we're actually toward maybe the middle, maybe three-quarters into raising our part for the half half a million dollar to a million dollar with a match, right, to a million dollar total for our endowment. So we'll endow this scholarship soon, within the year. Okay, so if there's somebody listening that wants to participate in that, how do they do it? Yes, we actually have our uh, scholarship breakfast uh, coming uh, soon uh, in November November, 2nd. November 2nd. So it'll be in person at Neighborhood Ministries, um, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., and we'll also have a virtual link uh, for those that cannot join us in person. And um, as a recipient of the scholarship, I will vouch for for <laughs> anyone to attend this. Um, and just any contribution is giving uh, someone an opportunity to higher education. Okay. Without this scholarship, I would not have graduated from ASC. <laughs> so can I just say that the easy way to find us, Bob, for the scholarship is to go to our webpage. There's going to be a landing uh, site on our webpage, neighborhoodministries.org. Um, and uh, so you can find us easily and then look for the scholarship breakfast webpage and then there'll be all that information there for how to donate. It'll be easy to find. Okay. So the the link is what? Uh, na- uh, NA nmphx.com.com dot com. Yeah. Say it again. NM like neighborhood ministries. PHX okay. like Phoenix. Okay. dot com. NMPHX.com. Okay. Hey, so let me we've got just a few more minutes. Um and uh we didn't even cover all the things he does and they were so we'll we'll come back and we'll finish. This interview, but I want to say something about another piece of the work that we do as it relates to today's migrant children. So, <clears throat> most of the children that are coming to our border uh, right now, pres- many present themselves without adults. They're, the, the the term is unaccompanied minor children. Anyone under eighteen that's traveled from. Uh, Honduras uh, or El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, even some now from Nicaragua, coming from that uh, northern triangle in Central America that is really still so rife with extreme poverty and violence and and, and other difficult uh, circumstances. When a child presents themselves at the border unaccompanied, they go into a program here in the U.S. supervised by the Office of Refugee Resettlement and that fund uh, becomes a funding agent for organizations like ours to do the hard work on the ground to care for those children. And our program at Neighborhood is really quite extraordinary. And I think we've reunified children with family members or relatives in the U.S., maybe over 500 children by now, maybe wow. more. Wow. And ours is a foster home model, so that means that child comes from trauma and go straight into a home that's uh, licensed by the state of Arizona with all that high nurture. Most of our foster parents are Latino, so they speak Spanish. 
although at the border, children from all over the world are presenting themselves unaccompanied from every war-torn place on planet Earth, many from Africa, Haiti, other Caribbean places, uh, 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 yeah, even even Eastern Europe. Even I, I met a young woman with two babies from Armenia. Absolutely, yeah. She came from Mexico. Here at Neighborhood Ministries, ourselves as just one organization, we've seen over forty countries. So um, I just want to mention that. So here's this incredible story of this young man who is doing mighty things in the power of God for the sake of the kingdom of God uh, for our community, uh, coming out of his own migrant story. But I wanted just to add that Neighborhood Ministries continues to keep our heart um, soft and um, before the Lord as it relates to um, the incredible opportunity we have to serve uh, unaccompanied minor children that are seeking asylum here in the U.S. So uh, I just wanted to add that uh, as it relates to the way we were presenting our story today. Yeah, and Alfonso, thank you so much for joining us today and being willing to share the story, your story and uh, the story of Neighborhood Ministries. And I, my prayer is that those who are listening will recognize two things. Number one is, if we're really gonna be involved as Jesus' hands and feet, it's long-term, not short-term. And number two, that's what Jesus calls us to do. God bless you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. God bless you, Bob. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.